Today, I'm going to give you permission to laugh like you need that. Some of you really need that permission today. Uh, holy cow, after this winter, some of you are the crankiest people. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's like, I just want to stay like 10 miles away from you. Uh, you're fighting each other on Facebook. Uh, you're fighting each other in the workplace. You're just, you're mad at the world. It's like, uh, and it's like, I mean, some of you are like a top. You know those tops you used to spin? You wind them up, and then, that's how some of you are right now. We just need to unspin you today. Today's emotion that we're dealing with is joy. Imagine, you can have joy in the midst of this winter. Imagine that somehow it's possible to rejoice. Imagine some of the, 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 the byproducts of joy, a deep-rooted reality that says, even though it feels horrible on the outside, there's something inside of me, the joy of the Lord, that's my strength today. And we're going to look at a book in the Bible that's going to address this concept of joy, rejoice, enjoy. And, and we're going to give you permission to say, you know, it's okay to have the theology of fun in your life. Like, oh my goodness, like somehow like God didn't create fun. Like that's not a byproduct of our, of our God. And and byproduct isn't laughter and joy. And so today we're going to look at the emotion of joy. And hopefully by the time we get to the end of this service, you leave like a little not so wound so tightly. And some wives will be really, really, really grateful uh, for, that their husbands have been unwound. And maybe you just need to spin around before and sometime during the service. But every once in a while, there's these, these moments that we just, we just enjoy. This, you know, it's like this is theology of enjoy. Hey, just enjoy this video right here. And you're, I give you permission to laugh. You know, we're in church, but we can laugh. Take a look at this. Yeah, but then, then, only then, 
It's good to laugh. Like, uh, you just let you allow you to laugh this morning. There's, you know, the reality is this, is there is a theology that allows that to be part of our lives. And for some reason along this path, this journey, we've somehow said that to be a Christ follower, you have to be totally serious all the time. Now, you know, there are times that we need to be really serious about our lives. But there are also those moments that we need to enjoy this life that God has given us. And I firmly believe that way too many Christ followers, especially after a season like this winter, you need to hear this message today. My hope is this, that your homes are filled with joy. My hope is this, that your homes are filled with laughter. My hope is this, that the joy of the Lord is your strength and it radiates through your countenance and your face. There's nothing like running into someone that has the joy of the Lord all over them. It just, it impacts you and it impacts our world. Paul wrote a book in the New Testament. I really believe this is the reason he wrote this book of many things. I really believe he wrote this book because the church that he was writing to were just wound up too tightly. They were running after Jesus and trying to serve Jesus. Yet this book in Philippians, he tells them 104 times. Now think about that. You're writing a letter to someone. You got like five chapters to this letter. You're writing a letter. You would think this. After 
hearing a letter from someone that, 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 that has kind of been your mentor, the, your teacher, and he sends you this letter. After reading this letter, if you saw the word be joyful and joyous, rejoice 104 times, would you think, maybe I'm wound too tightly. Maybe Paul sees something in us that, that we need to look at. Imagine writing a letter and just keep telling someone, rejoice, rejoice. Enjoy, rejoice. Okay, I get it. Then, no, no, you didn't get it yet. 104 times, in some form or fashion, Paul says, you need to rejoice. I'm going to show you the difference between happiness and joy. Joy is not about seeing one as better than the other. But instead, it's realizing that happiness and joy are very different. You can be happy as a result of your joy... But you can also just be happy with having things and stuff and things given to you. But we can't rely on good circumstances to always bring us happiness. It's not realistic. Happiness is not an emotion that we learn. We automatically get it. Someone gives something, something good happens to us. We respond in a happy way. Joy, on the other hand, is an emotion that can predominantly rule our daily lives. And we must develop. We must we must allow this to become a discipline. We must let the fruit of the spirit of joy come out of us. And the reason it doesn't isn't because it's not there and it's not available. It's because we're not walking in the spirit. So you run into someone where joy doesn't seem to permeate their lives. It's very clear. You could go to that person or you could do a self-evaluation and say that I'm probably not walking in the spirit. If the joy of the Lord doesn't come through my life. Joy is an emotion and a powerful emotion. And it's the opposite of fear. Our second most influential emotion. You can't be joyful and fearful at the same time. It's impossible. Like you can't be controlled by fear and be joyful. Those two kind of work head and head against each other. They butt heads. And you show me a fearful person, I will guarantee you they won't be a joyful person. Fear and joy combat each other. Listen to this unbiased opinion by someone in the health field when they were observing joy. Listen to what they said. It says, since I've been teaching myself how to be more joyful, I started observing joyful people. They seem to have many common similarities. They are in good health. They value discipline and strong relationships. They're appreciative and thankful regularly, and they don't allow themselves to have spiking happy highs when great things happen. And alternatively, they resist major discouragement and downs when bad things happen. So there's a noticeable difference in people, and there are these things, these disciplines they have in their lives being controlled by the Spirit that play out that help them to be joyful. Everyone has a choice to live in joy and excitement or in fear, anger, sadness, regardless of their circumstances. Some people, however, think that until their difficult circumstances change, fear and anger and sadness subside, only then will they be able to rejoice and be joyful. So the word enjoy means to put joy in. It means to be around people and allow the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, to be put into someone. You enjoy someone. You put joy into them as a result of the joy that comes out of you. 
So grab your Bibles. Let's take a look at this book of joy. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 17 and 18, or 14 through 18 to begin. Philippians 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, for those of you who have memorized God's electric power company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And stand with me, and we'll read this together. Philippians 2, verses 14 to 18. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you firmly hold to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You have a seat. But as you're taking a seat, look again at verse 18. Paul says this to the church at Philippi, to the Philippian followers. He said in verse 18, so you too, what's the next word? Should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is writing this out of some of the most dire circumstances in his life. So his joy isn't attached to, to, to his circumstances. Let me, let, me, let me preface by saying this. In order for us to really grasp this, we must quit being so serious about everything. You know, as a kid, which is getting farther and farther away, but as a kid, I went to summer camps, and I had camp counselors, and I had Sunday school teachers, and, and there was a course that, that we used to sing, and we used to belt it out in vacation Bible school, and it went something like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He fills my heart with laughter. Anybody know? Ha, ha, ha. Come on, help me out. I'm horrible with this. Come on. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, he fills my heart with laughter. Ha, 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 ha. He fills my heart with laughter. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That was, I, I got taught that as a little kid. And we used to try to be the loudest boys on one side, girls on the other, in vacation Bible school. And ha, 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 ha. And we really got into that. And I, I'm thinking back to that time. What was it that those teachers were trying to teach me? That The joy of the Lord allows us to emote. The joy of the Lord allows us to respond. The joy of the Lord allows us to respond in a joyful way. Now, how often do you see seriousness or joyfulness in the workplace? How often do you see joy of the Lord singing? (laughs) How often do you experience that in your home or on the interstate after driving, or better yet, after leaving a family gathering, or probably after you left the family gathering, it was, ha, 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 Paul must have known something. By the way, here's one thing I love about the Bible. This was written to the audience of a church 2,000 years ago. Yet, it's applicable to the audience right now, today. I love how God's word was meant and written to an original audience, but today we cross over and now it's the same message. And the message is this, guess what, Grace Community Church? Quit being so serious. Let the joy of the Lord rule your life. 
This most likely is Paul writing when he was in prison. So picture, he's in prison, he's chained, plus he wrote this after going through all this. Hold your finger here and turn back a few books to 1 Corinthians. In case you don't know anything about Paul, let me give you a, a snapshot. This is like what took place in his life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In case you don't know what Paul has been through, like he, did, like he wasn't living in a five-star hotel at the Hilton all of his life, he was able to, to, to write this and say this even after experiencing all this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look what he says in verse 23 through 28. He says this, Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? He says, I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. In case you do the math, that's 39. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been the danger from rivers and danger from bandits and danger from fellow Jews and danger from Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the country and danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food and I have been cold and naked. Besides everyone else, I face the daily pressures and my concerns for all the churches. And I must say, ha! Huh. And he was able to say, Rejoice! <laughs> 104 times. His joy wasn't based on his circumstances. It came from deep within him because he trusted in Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If anyone should have been a little callous and excused from like having cabin fever and being a little cranky, it should have been Paul. But he's telling the church of Philippi, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. In other words, Paul is saying it's time to loosen the strings a little bit in your life. Some Christians are so serious that you're about to snap. Somewhere along the path, probably along the way, someone told you that to be a Christian, you could not enjoy this life. Somewhere along the line, maybe it was out of just a discipline of just fasting or praying and, or, and, and it just uh, this, this, this idea of being pious, just that somehow we can't enjoy this life. We can't put a smile on our face. We can't enjoy the things and planet. Or somewhere along the line, in the season of your life, someone told you something and they didn't tell you that you can also do this and enjoy this. And so you've clung to that. Let me just say it this way. If you, if you have ever laughed and smiled it doesn't mean that you weren't holy. Besides, seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is. I mean, do you see that included in the list? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, seriousness? No. Joy is in the midst of that. The Bible even says that the fruit of the Spirit, to have love and joy and peace, it, it comes out of us and something happens. And a byproduct of that is a cheerful disposition. A byproduct of that is a countenance that radiates in the midst of difficult times. A byproduct of that is laughter. A byproduct of that is a theology of enjoying this life and rejoicing and, and celebrating. Let me give you some examples. Hold your finger here and look at Proverbs. Just load it with examples of a cheerful disposition, of a, of a joyful heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 17. Just look, look at a couple of these verses in Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 17. Look at verse 22. 
Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart or joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up bones. It actually impacts your, your body. Look, look back at chapter 15. Look at a couple of verses in chapter 15. Look at verse 13. It says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Verse 15. All the days of the oppressed are wicked, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Look at verse 30. Light in a messenger eyes brings joy to the heart, and the good news gives health to the bones. Somewhere along this journey, we got it just a little bit off. And somewhere along this journey, some of us believe that all Christians are supposed to live in huts and wake up every morning and eat grasshoppers and fishing worms. That might be the case for some. But even in the midst of that, there still can be joy in that. There's nothing wrong, too. Somewhere our theology kind of goes south when it comes to enjoying this life and how God blesses differently and how he, he allows us to enjoy the things of this earth. Somewhere along the line, we, we, we've, we, we've got this, this other lie that says this, that we can't enjoy this life that God has given us. We can't do it. And, and somewhere we, we, we've gotten that off track. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Let me give you an example. I, uh, last trip that we made to Thailand to, to visit our rescued kids, we were in Thailand, and so they wanted to go to this lake to go swimming. Now, when I say lake, all the tributaries that come into this lake, everything that feeds us, including um, the, the, the sewer, gets dumped into this lake. And these children are like, it's a place to swim. Now, my mind quickly thinks about all the floating stuff in this lake. And I'm thinking, man, like, there's parasites, there's bugs. And so we were, we were sitting in these huts, and we were eating. And the kids had their swimsuits, and they're ready to go swimming. And we're in these huts, and we had our rice and chicken. And, and so our kids just, man, they're, they're just jumping, running, going in the water. And so I'm standing there watching, and so I'm making, having this debate with God. Like, God, you know, man, I don't know what's in there. But God, I really want to be out there with them. I want to be a daddy to these kids. And, and so God, in his great foreknowledge and understanding and grace, he... Uh, allowed one of the kids to come walking up to me, and I'm standing against the hut. I'm waving to them, laughing, trying to do my best to interact. And so they grab my hand and go like this. <laughs> Dear God, I pray that you sanctify this water. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, if it's possible, they just Clorox everything. Dear Jesus. <laughs> Dear Jesus. If you've got to put a cloud of Clorox around me, then so be it. Dear Lord, may, if this is the first time you've ever done it, do it now, Jesus. Do it now. So I run out in the water and, you know, just jumping and playing, throwing kids in the air like you do. And they're laughing. We don't even, they speak Thai, I speak English, you know, and they didn't matter, man. It was just this, this moment where we just carefree, cut, loose, didn't worry about all the effects of, of parasites and all those things. Like somehow, you know, we have these alarmists in our world. It's like, oh, if you do that, then this is going to happen. If you drink this, then that's going to happen. If you spend too much time with your phone up to your ear, then you'll die of cancer. Don't sleep with your phone near you because you know what? You'll die. It's just all this stuff. It's like if we spend all of our time thinking about all those things, we will get wound so tight instead of just joying and enjoying this time. That's why Paul even said in another book, rejoice with those that rejoice. You see, we do a great job with the theology of suffering. We got that one down. But we don't know what to do with the theology of blessing and rejoicing. Like, we got the suffering one down. Suffer for Jesus. I'll suffer for Jesus. But... 
we don't know what to do with the theology of blessing and rejoicing. Like, in our minds, it's like, we can, we can compute suffering. Like, I know how to suffer. Let's suffer for Jesus. But how do you rejoice? And how, how about the theology of blessing? You see, we struggle with those that somehow God blesses a little different than others. And like we see some of these homes that somehow probably the most generous person on planet Earth gives to God, gives a tithe and an offering, and probably supports six miss, uh, missionaries across the world. And somehow God just keeps bringing it back to them because Malachi t- talks about that. You give, you can't outgive God. And somehow we see these people with these homes and we think, oh, I can't believe they have that house. Oh, I can't believe that they got that car. And I'm thinking, oh, give me a ride in that baby. I'll let it go with you. Oh, I can't believe that, like, he, he's got that, he's got, like, two motor, he, he's got a, he's got the new Harley that's out. Can't, can't, can you believe that Christian's driving that thing? Oh, give me a ride on that puppy. It's like, somehow, you're even having trouble with this right now. It's like, it's, we struggle with the theology of blessing and rejoicing. Like, somehow it's wrong to enjoy planet Earth that God has given us. Well, if you think it's wrong, then I got some news for you. Your theology is really screwed up. God wants us to enjoy this life that he has given us. I'm not promoting prosperity gospel. You know me well enough. I'm just saying enjoying the blessings of God and the things he lets us enjoy while plant on planet Earth. Joy is not connected to stuff. Paul is trying to tell us this today in this book. Live like you are free and not bound to law and under the old covenant. In fact, in John 8, 36, Paul says, he says, you will... Christ came to set us free and to be free indeed. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. There are more Christians in bondage every day believing we can't own this. We can't enjoy that. We can't do this. And somehow Satan has you all tied up in knots because of some judgmental person that was cabin fevered up too long this winter. Besides, think about this. Didn't God invent feast? Didn't he invent celebrations? Didn't he invent all these holidays in the Old Testament? And it is said that he is singing and dancing over us. Now, picture that for a second, what that must look like. I, I, and I tried to. See, that, that's how my mind thinks. So I read scripture. Huh? God sings and dance over, dances over us. You know, our God invented celebrations and feasts and holidays. Do you think... He invented them so we wouldn't enjoy them? Do you think he has them so that we don't rejoice? No, he wants us to enjoy. He wants us to rejoice. In fact, Zephaniah 3.17 is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says this, The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Think about it. God takes great delight in you. Then it says this, In his love... He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I've often wondered what that's like. Like, does God sing country music over us? I mean, I, I don't know. He could. He could, you know, break out some, some, uh, some Christian Garth Brooks. I don't know. He could do that. I mean, seriously. We have these pictures of God that somehow, I mean, when you get to heaven one day, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you be shocked if he just, you heard God, we think it's Charlton Heston. God. What if he said, come on. Seriously, I mean, have you ever thought God's voice? You know, we have these pictures. He sings over us. So, so he sees us. He takes great delight when we're following him. Just like, a, like a, a father or a mother does, rejoices over their children. And there's got to be times that he looks over and he just breaks out into it. 
does, does he, and, and then, then it says in Isaiah 62, 5, he rejoices over us. And the root of the word in Hebrew means to dance. Now, I love that picture there. Just, you know, our, our family sometimes will break out some music and we'll, I try to dance and boy, I'm glad there's no, no one videotapes me. And my kids are like, oh, dad. Rhythm went like two generations over you to Isaiah. Just j- jumped right over top of you. But there's these moments where God just sings over us, rejoices, and, and dance. I wonder, does he do like the water sprinkler? <laughs> does he, you know, does he? He does something. It's something we've probably never seen. See, somehow our theology is, oh, God sits there like this. He's wrath, God of wrath and justice, and bam, whack-a-mole, bam, whack-a-mole. Bam, whack them all. <laughs> wham, bam, wham. <laughs> There's a big part of God that our minds, Paul is saying here, listen, church at Philippi, listen, Grace Community Church, 104 times, enjoy this life because we have a God that knows how to enjoy it. Sing over us, dance over us. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to live in bondage. And Paul hits on something. And I think he's speaking to the American church today. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 4. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Look what it says in Philippians 4. Now, this is Paul. He says this. Rejoice in the Lord how often? I will say it again. What is it? So he's looking at this church, Philippi, and he says, listen. I know I already said it 97 times already, but listen, I'm going to tell you one more time. Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, he says, it's like, okay, Paul, we're getting it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Oh, Pastor Jim, I'll get it. Would you tell him to get it? Rejoice. Then it says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with what? Thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to know why many people are bound up and aren't rejoicing? Because you've let worry choke your joy. It's like, oh, I don't know how this is going to happen. Oh, I got this spot. Oh, I lost this. Oh. My kid has been hanging out there. Oh, oh, oh. And so what happens is it just strangles. And he's looking at this church 2,000 years ago. And guess what? The same message to that audience comes to the audience today. And it's saying, oh, Grace Community Church, if you let worry consume you, then guess what? The joy of the Lord will never come out of you. You've choked it down. And by the way, our world is loaded with Alarmists, I would call them, like worrying about what if this happens, worrying about what if that happens, and they don't allow the joy of the Lord. We work 80 hours overtime in case this happens and 90 hours overtime for this, and we save a penny here instead of just enjoying this life. Some of us are going to, we're, we're planning to rejoice God when we retire with our family. Oh, we'll, we'll live it up then, honey. We'll live it up 20 years. And you know what happens? Some of you don't even make it there. And you miss this whole part of your life with your kids and your children and your wife. 
to enjoy this life and you've just been on this mission, work, 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 we'll get it one day, honey, one day. And some of you, when time you get there, you can't even enjoy it. I mean, some of you don't even make it there. You pass before you get there. There's alarmists in our world that just, they worry about everything. I came across an article, one of my favorite articles that uh, writers said this, that this man recorded this in the Los Angeles Times. It's a satire. He was like tired of all the alarmists in our world. Barry Siegel wrote this in the Los Angeles Times. In a lighthearted way, he shows how ridiculous it is to let negativism and worry take charge. So he wrote this. It's a satire. This is what he wrote. Listen to this. This is outstanding. He said, alarmists worry about such matters as nuclear holocaust and pesticide poisoning. Maybe overlooking, this is his satire, much more dire catastrophes. Consider, he says, what some scientists predict. If everyone keeps stacking National Geographic in garages and attics, instead of throwing them away, the magazine's weight will sink the continent 100 feet sometime soon and will all be inundated by the oceans. That is awesome. (laughs) Then he says this. If the number of microscope specimen slides submitted to one St. Louis hospital laboratory continues to increase at its current rate, that metropolis will be buried under three feet of glass by the year 2024. Then he says this, if beachgoers keep returning home with as much sand clinging to them as they do now, 80% of the country's coastline will disappear in 10 years. (laughs) Then he says this, this is his best. He says it also has been reported that pickles cause cancer, communism, airline tragedies, auto accidents, and crime waves. Pickles. About, and then he says about 99.9% of these victims have eaten pickles sometime in their lives. <laughs> Some have 100%. So have soldiers, 100% of soldiers, 96.8% of communist sympathizers, and 99.7% of those involved in car and air accidents. Moreover, those born in 1839 who ate pickles have suffered 100% mortality rate. <laughs> and... Rats, force-fed 20 pounds of pickles a day for a month, ended up with bulging abdomens and a loss of appetite. <laughs> can you see how this, this alarmist stuff can get out of control? Like, oh, I wonder if this is going to happen. What if that means this? That means that. Worry chokes down joy. The bottom line is this. Did Jesus ever have a moment where he sat around and just enjoyed being Jesus and having friends. Do, do you ever think Jesus kind of like, that's not recorded in the, in the gospel, do you ever think he just kind of sat down? I mean, by the way, he was a man. You know, we didn't get like making stuff. And I often wonder, because you know, Jesus had access to, to all kinds of cool things, didn't he? Like, hey, let's make this. Okay, Jesus, make us another one. Did he ever sit around and like, like they just, they just, they, they threw stuff into the fire and watched it blow up? Seriously. Do you think we created that idea, just like the dudes today? Somewhere along the line, someone started. Do you think that the DNA of our, fa- of, our, of our Savior has been carried down to us? Do you think there was ever moments that Jesus was hanging out after a tired, long ministry day that, he's, that they get done and, 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 and they're walking to the shoreline that he ever said, all right, everyone in the water, last one's in a rotten egg, and he takes off running? See, it's hard for you to laugh. You can't see Jesus like that. Just, I think he did. Why not? We didn't make up 
this, these, 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 these emotions. They, they just, just, just appear. They came from somewhere. Do you ever think Jesus played king of the hill with the disciples in the sand? <laughs> See, some of us can't, we, we don't think about that. He was as fully human as can be. And he was as He was as fully dude as can be. If you put 13 dudes together, they're blowing something up or they're competing against someone. They are. Just put me with 12 dudes for like three years. We would blow up planet Earth. (laughs) See, we see Jesus only as this. What's your picture of Jesus? You ever see your Savior with a smile? I believe he smiled regularly because the joy of the Lord was his strength. And when the joy of the Lord is your strength, you can't help but smile because you know that your life is in his hands. We have to loosen up is what Paul's saying. I'm serious. Some people really need to hear this. You're afraid to laugh. You're afraid to, like, to live life on the edge. It's like you want to live... Live, live life like, like you can't enjoy it. Some of us don't have a theology of even of fun. And your kids are longing for it. They're longing for you just to roll on the floor with them. They're longing for dad just to go out in the yard and make a, a snow angel just because you can. And I work my hardest trying to lead men even through our discipleship journey to just have fun moments. And some guys are, I'm not doing that. It's like, come on, lighten up, enjoy this life that Christ has given us. Let me give you a a great example of of how this took place. Many, many years ago, uh, I read a book, this book here by Chuck Swindoll, and he tells this story that I want to give to you. He says, people who live above their circumstances usually possess a well-developed sense of humor because in the final analysis, that's what gets them through. He said, I met such a person at a conference in Chicago several years ago. We shared a few laughs following a session at which I had spoken. Later, she wrote to thank me for adding a little joy to an otherwise ultra-serious conference. Then he put, why are all Christian conferences ultra-serious? He said, her note was a delightfully creative expression of one who had learned to balance the dark side of life with the bright glow of laughter. Among other things, she wrote, this is her letter. She says, humor has done a lot to help me in my spiritual life. How could I have reared, listen, 12 children starting at the age of 32. You do the math. And not have had a sense of humor. She says, after your talk last night, I was enjoying some relaxed moments with friends I had met here. I told them I got married at age 31. I didn't worry about getting married, she writes. I left my future in God's hands. But I must tell you, every night, she said, I hung a pair of men's pants on my bed and knelt down to pray this prayer. This is the prayer she prayed. Father in heaven, hear my prayer. And grant me if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) 
Swindoll goes on to say this then. He says this. The following Sunday, I read that humorous letter to our congregation, and they enjoyed it immensely. I happened to notice the different reactions of a father and his teenage son. The dad laughed out loud, but the son seemed preoccupied. On that particular Sunday, the mother of this family had stayed home with their sick daughter, so mom was at home. Obviously, neither father nor son mentioned the story that I talked about in my sermon because a couple of weeks later, I received a note from the boy's mother. Dear Chuck Swindoll, I am wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with our son. For the last two weeks, I have noticed that before our son turns the light out and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a woman's bikini over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about this? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, we're going to have to run at Walmart this afternoon, aren't we? <laughs> Besides, how in the world are we ever going to win people to Jesus Christ if they only see one side of us? Joy has nothing to do with income. It has nothing to do with status. It's a fruit of the Spirit that comes out of us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I believe Paul was trying to say in the book of Philippians. He never let the circumstances... By the way, he's, he had been through as much as anybody. In fact, he says this in Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1. I mean, it's all over. I, I just grabbed a few. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Look at verses 12 through 14. Paul says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and it could be written to Grace Community Church today, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, me being in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In other words, duh, I got chains on me. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, they see that there's joy in me and that there's something different about me. And because that I'm able to stand above and rejoice, so can they. Our joy should never be determined by what happens to us, but what Jesus is doing in and through us. Do you remember when David sinned in the Old Testament and committed adultery with Bathsheba? Psalm 51 is his repentance prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, in Psalm 51 and verse 12, he says this, Please, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Boy, could we use a good restoration in some of our hearts. You know, we understand how to restore old cars and houses, but some of us need a heart restoration of joy. David said, please, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation so that I can live out this life the way you want me to live it. You know, it's time we quit belly aching about how horrible we got it. We have a retirement that's out of this world. Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, it says in Philippians here. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. Laughter, without a doubt in my mind, is a byproduct of joy. 
So, do you believe God laughs? Do you believe the three in one ever kind of just says, come here, come here, come here, angels, come here, come here. Look at Jim. Look what he's got himself in now. Do you ever think? I mean, as parents, you know those moments when your kids, when they're small and they do something, it's like, oh, it's so funny, but you still have to correct them. And so there have been times I've taken my shirt like this and said, and you take them. I can't. Just can't. <laughs> you know those things that you hate about yourself that sometimes your kid gets? It was one of those times like, I just remember doing that. And please. Do you ever think God looks down and, and sees us? It says he disciplines those. Do you ever think there's moments he's like, come here, take a look before I discipline them. Look what they did. Look. Do you think we made this up? It flows from the throne. In fact, in Psalm 2, 4, it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. To realize Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4 says, There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. Psalm 100, one of my favorite passages in Psalms, says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And one version says, Shout a noise, a joyful noise to the Lord. We often think that's singing only. I don't believe it is. If you go to the root of that word, that same word is connected to laughter. I believe a noise can be laughter. Isn't it? Don't you love getting with people who love the Lord? And you just, I mean, don't you love sometimes like when you just cut loose? You know, when I cut loose, I slap. Like, <laughs> or I clap. That's awesome. My kids look at me. Do <laughs> you think God ever has those moments when he's setting it? You know, we didn't make that stuff up. It's not like we just all of a sudden made up laughter. I believe it came from the throne room of God. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And by the way, guess what? It's in the imperative form. Now listen to me. It's a command. It's not like, it'd be a good thing if you, if you laughed. It'd be a good thing if you rejoiced. No. Paul says, this you must do. And if we don't obey this command, it's disobedience. It is sin. We need to consciously stay aware of the importance of a cheerful countenance in the world that we live in. I love this statement by Fred Allen. He was a humorist. He used to say this. He said, it's bad to suppress your laughter because when you do, he said, it goes down and spreads out your hips. <laughs> and then he said, maybe that explains those extra pounds. Heaven is going to be the greatest party that we've ever been part of. It's going to be the greatest celebration that you've ever been part of. You're going to have the most rejoicing that you've ever had. There's going to be laughter. There's going to be joy. There's going to be singing. There's going to be shouting. And so, you know, I don't have to think too hard about what that means to me. Here's what I, when I think of that, we better start practicing because <laughs> it's going to be some, what if God in his foreknowledge and said, you know what, those of you who didn't enjoy this life, who didn't choose to laugh, I want you to stand over in that corner over there and just watch. And the rest of us, <laughs> joy is a deep-seated fruit of the spirit that surfaces because, now listen, of a steadfast belief in Jesus no matter what comes our way. 
Joy says, I trust you, God, even in the hard times, and I choose to rejoice. Joy says, I'm not going to let these tough circumstances ruin and destroy my day. I'm not going to let the winter of 2004 die. Joy allows us to dance, to sing, and laugh at the days to come. People that rejoice are a breath of fresh air to a world that only knows temporary happiness and is on a weekend quest to find it. Paul says, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Wouldn't it be awesome if Christ came back today? Wouldn't it be awesome as we sing this last song that we kind of practice for heaven? Wouldn't it be awesome as we were picturing, as we're singing this song, as the worship teams began to come out, that this song was the practice for the grand celebration in heaven? Here's what that means. You're going to have to cut loose a little bit during this song. You might have to free your hands up of your coffee that protects you from moving. This is your chance to sing and dance and practice for the celebration that we're about to see in heaven. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength.